All right, church, welcome to the party. I am thrilled that you are with us because today you get to hear from one of my closest friends, Pastor Jed Chapel. Pastor Jed and his wife, Julie, lead an organization in Oklahoma City, and you're gonna get to hear more about that in his message. But what I'm really excited for you to hear is his story. Pastor Jed has one of the best testimonies I have ever heard. It's no secret around here at Northview, we are one church across 12 locations, and four of those locations are in prisons. And I just know, without a doubt in my mind, this message is going to land in such a precious and powerful way with those who are meeting with us behind bars. So church, would you do me a favor, and would you give the warmest Northview welcome to my friend, Pastor Jed Chapman. Well, thank you guys so much, North Church. You are so gracious. It is such a tremendous honor to be here with you, with you guys this evening. Man, I am so excited to be with you. And with, with those of you watching online, it's a tremendous honor to be with you as well, with the God Behind Bars family as well. It's such a tremendous privilege and honor to be speaking with you this evening. I'm excited to be in Indiana, man. This is an incredible state. You guys have such an awesome state. We have been enjoying the festivities here just with CJ and Kristen. We love your pastors. Give it up for your pastors. They are tremendous friends of ours. We love them dearly, and we are so excited. You are tremendously blessed. Pastor Steve and his wife as well, they have been tremendously gracious to us. We met them last night, and they are a blessing to this church as well. I tell you, uh, the longevity you have in your pastors and their leadership, there is something to say about that. There is a tremendous foundation at this church, and we are so blessed to have met them, so give it up for your pastor, Steve and Sandy, as well. <clears throat> I wanna honor someone very special in my life, as well, my lovely wife, Julie Chapel. We are, give it up for Julie. We are celebrating 18 years of marriage today. Yeah. So we are tremendously blessed there. She is an amazing woman. She holds me together with duct tape and super glue, guys. She is the rock to our family, and we are so thankful for everything she means to our family. My son Jackson, our youngest, is here as well. We're thankful for him. We have three other older boys there out of the family, but I tell you, someone very special to us has, our, uh, has me wrapped around her finger. Her name is Aria. Can we throw a picture of her up on the screen? Yes, Aria Lynn. She is our three-year-old granddaughter. And guess what, I have a story to tell about her to open up. You're gonna love this, but to preface this, uh, I've been married for 18 years, and every story that gets told from the stage first runs through the filter of my wife. So you must know this, this story, she has given me permission to tell this story. So I am not a bad husband for telling this story about my wife. She actually told me that I should tell this story about her. So just so you know, there's a disclaimer ahead of time, so nobody judge me for telling this story. How many of you know that sometimes things are taken out of context when three-year-olds blurt out certain stories about your grandparents, amen? <laughs> so I am Pop Pop, she is Gigi, and it is actually official, it is unanimous. I am the favorite grandparent. Out of all the grandparents, Pop Pop is the favorite. This is true. Julie will attest to this. She's shaking her head no, but it's the truth. I'm the favorite. 
I am the favorite grandparent. She loves Pop-Pop. As soon as she comes into the house, she grabs my finger, and we run into her, her room. I put on the princess tiara. She puts on her princess dress, and we play princesses. So that's like I've earned my right to be the best grandparent. But one day, we were in our facility. Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder with my wife of City Center, our resource center for at-risk youth and families. And so we were at our facility. We were hanging out with some volunteers, and Aria had a bump on her chin. It looked like a bruise. And one of the volunteers said, Aria, what happened to your chin? And she said very dramatically, she got serious, and she said, Gigi threw me on the floor with those beautiful locks in her hair. She flung those locks around and ran out the room. And I was like, oh my goodness, this story needs some context because Child Protective Services might get called next in our day and age. So I said, no, 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 let me explain. Gigi's an amazing grandmother. Aria loves her grandmother. What happened was, and in these, this day and age, I find myself as a grandfather saying often, see what had happened was, very often, I said Gigi was swinging around Aria in our facility during a wonderful outreach where Gigi organized getting thousands of children gifts for Christmas. She's a great grandmother. And she was swinging the Aria around and Gigi forgot that she has some nerve damage in her shoulder and her hand sometimes slips. Aria flew out. Uh, from under her grip, and she hit the floor in the gym. So see, it wasn't, she didn't throw her on the floor. <laughs> you gotta give things context, right? Everybody say context. context. Well, today I wanna talk about a scripture that we sometimes take out of context. What I love about our pastor, Pastor CJ, he keeps scripture in context, and he helps us break down scripture so we can truly understand what the scripture is telling us, amen? So the scripture that I want to walk through today is Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, how many of us, how many of us have heard that scripture, right? Maybe we've seen that on a placard above our, the entryway to the kitchen in our grandmother's home, right? Man, we've heard this scripture. We've seen this scripture if we've been in church any amount of time, we've, we've heard this scripture in church at some point in time. I would say that when, in, in my life, I've claimed this scripture. I'm like, I want this promise right now, right? We've been in a bad situation or a difficult situation. We want this hopeful future now. We want this promise now. But how many of us know we should probably read it in context to get more out of this promise? because I think there's more to the promises of God than this just immediate microwave right now culture that we live in. So really quickly, I'm gonna jog through the backstory of the Israelites. I'm no theologian like your pastors. Um, you know, I'm just a guy up here gonna share a little bit of my life and my story, but a real quick jog, the Israelites at this point had been in and out of captivity. They had made some bad decisions, some good decisions, they had experienced an exile from an evil Pharaoh. They had experienced a promised land. At this point, they are experiencing another exile and captivity by the Babylonians. Now, if we back up to chapter 28 of Jeremiah, there was a false prophet that told them, yeah, you're going into exile, but guess what? You're gonna be out in two years. It's gonna be all good. You're gonna experience the new promised land. Don't worry about it. Things are gonna be good really quickly. Fast forward back to 29, in this scripture context, Jeremiah checked that false prophet Hananiah, he's like, nope, I'm gonna set the record straight. 
So let's back up to verse four and see what Jeremiah had to say. Let's read it in context. Somebody say context. Keep it in context. So verse four says this. This is what the Lord Almighty said, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. That doesn't sound like two years. Marry wives and sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and, and your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Hold up, I'm liking Hananiah's prophecy. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city of which I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait a second, you're telling me to pray for the people who are holding me captive and keeping me in exile. That doesn't sound like a prophecy I'm, I'm, I'm jiving with, in my, my personal opinion. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years my math is not very good, but two verses 70 lets me know I'm, I'm, I would much rather go with Hananiah in this situation. Let's, let's read Jeremiah 29, 11 now. Before I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. That reads a little bit different, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like an immediate fix for our problem. It doesn't sound like some immediate promise that we can just grab out of the air and receive. Well, today I wanna share with you my story and how I think this relates to this scripture context with the children of Israel. You see, today I'm a CEO of an organization that's doing really well. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather to a beautiful baby girl that I love dearly. I'm an advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. I'm doing things in, in Oklahoma City to help reduce gun violence and all these other things. And this is what, how it looks like it's going today in a picture of me right now that we're gonna put on the screens really quick. This is Jed, the husband. This is Jed, the father today. This is Jed, the CEO. This is how it's currently going. But I wanna show you how the process began. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Now, I can't breeze by that picture without explaining, can I? You are a little bit confused right now, aren't you? So today, I wanna share about a day that changed my life forever. You see, it was January 20th, 1995, and I was living my life as a reckless youth. By the time I was 14, I, was, I picked up a gun and I started selling drugs for one of my older brothers. I actually like to refer to myself as a street pharmacist. It was more sophisticated. Nobody got that. <laughs> selling drugs in Oklahoma City, I was running around the streets, acting crazy, getting all kinds of trouble. By the time I was 18, I started committing robberies. Now I wanna let you know ahead of time, I'm not proud of any of this, but this is going to a, a hopeful place. This is going to a place where God gave me a hopeful future. We're running around Oklahoma City committing robberies, breaking into homes, and one day the cops came to one of those homes, flushed us out of the house. I'm running through these 
this neighborhood through these yards in Oklahoma City, and I was running through the neighborhood. I drew my weapon as a cop confronted me 20 feet away. As I drew my weapon, before I could pull the trigger, he drew his weapon after I drew mine. Before I could squeeze the trigger, he shot four times, hitting me in my chest, my arm, and twice in my hand. I hit the ground, lost 65% of my blood supply, flatlined in the ambulance for 20 seconds, and I woke up handcuffed to a bed in ICU, thinking, what just happened? What just happened? You ever have a what just happened moment? You ever have a what just happened moment where you're wrapped up in an addiction, where you're you're leading a business, things are going well, but you think I wanna burn the midnight oil to make more money to get more work done, but now you're wrapped up in an addiction that you never thought you'd be caught up in? Did your marriage ever go off the rails and you thought things were going really well? You've been married for 15 plus years. Before you know it, it's just not working like it used to. You thought, what just happened? You ever been an innocent victim of a crime you didn't ask to be committed against you, and you're in a scenario where you're having a hard time to reconcile what happened and, and reconcile and forgive that person that hurt you, you're thinking, what just happened? I was in one of these what just happened moments, and my life is in the balance, and I'm not sure where I'm headed next, but the good news is there's more to the promise, and God has a plan for your life, and he's working something out that you really can't see yet, but guess what? There's typically a process to the promise that God wants to activate in our lives. And I remember seeing in my life that there was a, promise, there was a process that I was within that I didn't even realize. And even though I couldn't see the promise in front of my face that my mom had been claiming over my life, I was in process. So today, I just want to share a few things that I see in this scripture that I started to realize as I was in the midst of this whole mess that I found myself caught up in that I wanna share with you guys, and I hope it blesses you today. Number one, there's a process in the promise. There's a process. There's a process in the promise. And I remember after I got shot and I got bailed out of jail, the reality is I didn't realize this, but they actually charge you for these crimes. I was like, man, I'm gonna get a sentence for this crime. And so I was out on bond for seven and a half months, had to go back to county jail for some investigation, and then they take me back to court. And so I'm in the, in the courtroom, and my, and my lawyer, this is no joke, he said, hey, I think I can get you around 18 months to two years in jail. He said, I think I can work it out. You're young. You know, I know this is a crazy offense, but I think that I can actually get you a reduced sentence. I'm like, all right, great. So I'm, I walk into the courtroom, and I had this big old King James Bible underneath my arm. And I'm like just walking up to the, court, to the judge. I'm like, I'm going to get a reduced sentence. I really believe that. What I didn't know is they switched judges uh, right before my sentencing and they gave me the, the less lenient judge that was a career law enforcement judge. So I'm standing before the judge and I'm like, yes, judge, I've been reading my Bible, I've been doing the right thing, and I'm ready to change. And uh, I look over, my entire family's there, and as I get ready to get sentenced, I look over, I, I find out that my, my girlfriend at the time, not Julie, my wife today, but my girlfriend, had went into labor and she was about to have our firstborn son. He looked up to me, and he says some very choice words and that made me know that he really didn't like me and wanted me to do a lot of time. And so he said, I'm gonna give you 47 years in prison. 
19 years old at this point, and he raps the gavel. And I'll never forget the sound of that gavel rapping in the room. It echoed throughout the room, and I realized at that point that my life was gonna change forever. My family broke down, and I realized, man, I gotta, I gotta change some things in my life. So I went back to the county jail cell that I was in. I, felt, I fell on my face, and I repented to God, and I asked God, man, if there's any brain cells left in my head, they're yours to use. <laughs> and there were a few left, not many. <laughs> Thank God he restored some of those. And I can't explain it, but something, something transformed inside me and I connected to a relationship with Christ that was so much different than the, the checkbox that I checked going to church with my family when I grew up, because I did go to church as a young man, but it wasn't relational at all. And I knew something was changed, and I knew something was different, and I knew I had an opportunity to be something other than what I had become before I, was, I had met Jesus in that ch- jail cell. And I realized in that moment that before God does something through you, he, he wants to do something in you. And he had to do something in me in that moment before he could be, begin the process to do something through me. And I realized all of us in this room, gosh, he wants to do something through you. But before he can do something in you, before he can do something through you, he has to do something in you. And that in you is the work of Christ. That in you is meeting the man Jesus that can transform each and every one of us And man, if I can say anything to our God Behind Bars community, man, I'm not just speaking to you from a position of these are ideas, these are experiences that I've experienced. I've been sitting right where you're at. I know exactly what you're experiencing. I know who you are and what you're feeling. And some of the things that I had to drop in this process were shame, rejection, and fear of what people would think about me. And you know what? The word of my testimony, not being afraid to share what God has done in my life, transformed the experience that I had post-prison experience. Don't be ashamed of what the gospel can do and how it can transform you because that, that shame that I've dropped has transformed my life. Can we all agree that we're in process? Somebody look at your neighbor and say, man, you got issues. Husbands, don't look at your wife. Husbands, don't look at your wife. You're going to get in trouble, trust me. I did that once, just once, just once. The second thing that I've gained out of this passage of Scripture was there's perspective in the promise. You know, there's perspective in the promise, and when I was incarcerated, I realized that there was something that I wasn't getting about this promise that I wanted so bad and so immediate. I realized I wanted it so quickly and right now because I wanted it just for me. I realized that, you know, in this scripture with the Israelites, there were other people in the promise that that, uh, Jeremiah was prophesying about. He said, pray for the people in the city and that it would be prospered so that you too will be prospered. You know, we gotta pray for other people, right? We gotta realize this, this promise isn't all about us. You know, I look at it now, I began to minister to other people while I was in prison. I remember seeing some tough characters. Man, there's this dude named Spike in prison. Man, if your name's Spike, you're a bad dude, right? (laughs) His name was Spike, man. He wasn't trying to hear nothing about Jesus. One time, um, after I got out of prison, I was in a line at 7-Eleven. We have 7-Elevens in Oklahoma. I don't know if you have those here, but it's a convenience store. And I heard somebody say, hey, Chapel. And I'm like, oh, man, that means one thing. Because when somebody just uses your last name, 
you've been in prison with them, just in case. Um, so I heard that somebody say, hey, hey, chapel. And I was like, I looked around, and it was Spike. I'm like, man, how'd you get out? Because <laughs> um, he was locked up when he was 16, certified in, as an adult for murder. And when I met him, he was in his 40s. So he was a, in for a long time, but he was a law clerk. And he, he was talking to me. I said, man, how'd you get out? And he told me how. He said, man, chap. And then he shortened it and called me chap. So I was like, oh, now we're cool. So <laughs> he said, man, chap, I'll tell you what, man, we, those conversations we used to have, I really wasn't trying to get into it with you. But, you know, after talking to you, I realized, man, there was something to how you were living in there. And now that I see you're still living it out here, man, I've, I met Jesus. I've been going to church. And I'm like, first of all, I was like, Phew. I'm just glad I didn't still owe you something off commissary, you know, or something. <laughs> There's other people in the promise. So I changed my perspective and I realized, you know what? This promise that I receive is going to translate to other souls being touched and, and saved and potentially transformed. And so then, guess what? I became a pastor. I didn't know that was legal for me to be a pastor. I didn't know that was biblically okay. I became a pastor. And that's where actually Pastor CJ and I met. We met at a church in Oklahoma City. We became close friends very quickly. And um, matter of fact, he was the inspiration behind what we do at City Center. And now that we have City Center, we're operating fully at City Center, things have become... Uh, have grown exponentially, and we serve thousands of family and youth every year, and we've been doing it for five years. My perspective changed. The promise isn't just about me. It's about other people, and now God can exponentially impact his kingdom when we realize and our perspective grows. There's perspective in the promise, and that's why someday the hurt we've experienced will help heal others. If you'll tap into your pain and put it at the foot of the cross, he can use that to help heal other people. That's why today I quit running from my pain and the things I've experienced. And I've, start, I've started placing them at the foot of the cross to our online friends and to all the other campuses that are watching right now. Someday the hurt you've experienced will help heal other people. I believe that and I've experienced that. And finally, there's pardon in the promise. You know, Webster's de definition for pardon is actually forgiveness. And this is what absolutely transformed my life. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root goes up to cause trouble and defile many. There was a bitter root of unforgiveness in my life. And I don't know if you've ever had someone hurt you. But man, I've had people hurt me. I've had people hurt me that I've done something wrong to them and they've hurt me back. But I've had people hurt me that I didn't do anything to them. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure there's people in this room where you've been hurt by someone and you didn't ask for it and you didn't deserve it. And that's hard to forgive people like that, but guess what? I realize the hurt we've experienced that we hold on to unforgiveness towards, it only hurts us, it doesn't hurt them. And I had to let go of some unforgiveness in my life towards some of my, my brothers and my family, and that transformed my life. And then I realized I had to ask forgiveness for some things that I had done. So you remember that officer that shot me? 
man, he started, the Lord, the Holy Spirit started messing with me. I was a pastor sitting at my desk, and I was like, the Holy Spirit started talking to me. He didn't talk to me audibly. It'd be kind of cool if, like, the Holy Spirit started talking to me, like, in a Morgan Freeman voice, like, in a, (laughs) wouldn't that be cool, like, in a booming Morgan Freeman voice? That'd be awesome, but he doesn't talk to me like that, but he kind of puts impressions on my heart. And I remember I was sitting at my desk and the Lord said, you need to reach out to the officer that shot you. I was like, man, Lord, you need to come with an instruction manual on what that looks like. Because that seems a little bit like a stalkerish conversation. Like, what is he going to think? Am I, you know, someone that just got out of prison that wants some retribution? Is he going to think that I'm after him? And so the Lord kept dealing with my heart. And so I said, okay, I'm going to figure out where he works now. And so as I started seeking out where he worked, um, I found out that he was no longer a police officer. And so, so I found out where that place was, and I called his place of business. He wasn't there. And I'm just like dry doing this. No game plan. Just me and the Holy Spirit. Let's go. Like, okay, like if you say do it, like you're not giving me a game plan. All right, let's do it, Holy Spirit. Like give me in the moment. Help me figure this out. Call them, they take my number, not my name, which I think was totally God, right? Because if he doesn't know my name, he can't look, whatever, he doesn't remember me. So they took my number, I get a call back five minutes later. Five minutes later, I get a call back, it's him. I answer the phone, my voice is shaking. I'm like, uh, hello? He said, yes, uh, yes, sir, this is Jerry. I received a phone call from this number. I said, uh, uh, yes, sir, um, uh, I just had a couple questions for you. Um, are you a retired police officer with the Oklahoma City Police Department? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, and then I said, I just had a couple questions for you. Um, number one, um, you answered the first one. Number two, um, did you, were you in, um, involved in a, like having a hard time getting it out? Were you involved in a shooting that involved a youth back in 1995? He said, uh, was really quiet and said, yes, I was. I said, sir, my name is Jed Chapel, boy then, man now that you shot. And I just want to ask you for forgiveness for putting you in that situation. Got really quiet. I said, I'm a different person today. I said, I know it's got to be hard to shoot anyone, let alone. And before I could get the words out, he said, a kid? I said, yeah, a kid. He audibly starts crying on the phone. My heart broke. I said, sir, I just want you to let you know I'm, I'm, I'm doing things way different. I've, I've did everything I can to rehabilitate myself. I'm living a different life. I said, actually, have you ever heard of Victory Church? That's the church I was working at at the time. He goes, yeah, I've actually been to that church once. I said, I'm a pastor there now. He goes, my God, he does work miracles, doesn't he? I said, yes, he does. That's what I'm saying, man. He said, um, he said well, I, you know, I said, I don't know what the fork in the road looks like, but I said, I do just want you to know I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to have coffee with you. I would love to figure out how we can, you know, reconcile or Whatever we can do, I don't know what it looks like. I mean, I don't know why I'm calling you. I just feel like God wanted me to connect with you and let you know that I'm a different person. He said, Jed, I felt like I've needed your forgiveness this whole time. He said, I felt like I was too excessive. He said, I felt like I should have done something different. I felt like, he said, I felt like 
And I respectfully stopped him and I said, sir, you did exactly what you were trained to do. I want to release you from that feeling of, of guilt, of shame, or whatever that is, because I know how you're trained. I was committing the crime. I was the one in the wrong. I was committing violence. I was, I was putting you in a difficult situation. So if you need my forgiveness, you got it. But just know this. I understand that you were put in a difficult situation. So we kept each other's numbers, and then it gets even better. Six months later, I get a phone call from him again. He's audibly, like, kind of like emotional on the phone. And um, he said, Jed, I'm having challenges with my son. He's 17 years old. He's struggling with a heroin addiction. He said, would you be willing to meet with him to help him get into a drug rehab facility? I'm like, you could have asked me to do anything. Like, I would have mopped your floors with my face for a month <laughs> if that's what you wanted me to do. Like, I didn't say that because it, it was a pretty sobering moment, but... Literally, I would have done anything for this man. And I said, Jerry, I will do whatever you want me to do. But for that, it's my tremendous honor to do that. I would love to. So I met with him for the next eight months. We drove him to, to counseling. And in the, in the meeting I had with his mom before I drove, not to counseling, to rehab, in the moment that I sat down with, at lunch with his mom before we drove him down there, she told me the story of the night before, the night that I got shot, that she sat with her husband, Jerry, the, the officer, that he would never tell because he was this really hardened detective police officer. She said, Jed, me and Jerry sat in our bedroom and cried and prayed till two in the morning, praying that God would preserve your life. And she said, God preserved your life to bring things full circle so that he could use you to preserve our son's life. My God, he is an amazing God, guys. And I share all these stories not to highlight what I've done or what is special about me or, man, I am just, I like what the worship pastor said during our huddle. He said, he, he, we're just knuckleheads that he uses sometimes, you know, and that's the truth. Um, I am just a person that God used because I submit my vulnerabilities and weaknesses at the foot of the cross. You know, that's all we are. Um, but he wants to use us. So we have to drop our shame, drop our fears, be willing to be transparent before Jesus, and let him know, hey, we're here. We're here at your disposal. Use us. Forgiveness will have its way in us. And something that I realize is forgiveness isn't fair. But if it was fair, we, all felt, we would all fail to qualify. Isn't that right? One more story I can tell, and I have time for this, but... You know, Jesus pardoned us of our sin. He pardoned us of all our sin when he died on the cross. You know, if it couldn't get any better, man, like, God is so good to me. I remember we made the decision when we left, when we had moved, moved on from Victory Church in Oklahoma City, and we actually went to Minnesota to serve on Pastor CJ's team at the church there in Minnesota. And um, 
as soon as we made that decision to be obedient to do that, I got a call that randomly that I was up for a pardon on the pardon and parole board for Oklahoma. Like I need, I, I, my paperwork was messed up. It wasn't filed right. And um, so I get this call. I go to this hearing. I go dead last. So just so you know, for reference, anybody that goes up after 11 a.m. has a 70% chance of less, they're less likely to actually get a, a yes vote to get pardoned. So I'm like, this is laughable. And I'm the most violent case on the whole caseload. And so I'm thinking, this is so funny. Like, y'all are messing with me. Who's punking me right now? You know, who's like messing with me? So I decided to go anyway. It's the week before we moved to Minnesota. So I'm I'm like, it's okay, whatever. So I go up on the docket and um, I go last. And they all like take this deep breath and they kind of lean back in their chair like, okay, let's get this one over, you know? So they, I just like, okay, Holy Spirit. And I have two and a half minutes to talk. So I say, okay, Holy Spirit, me and you again, me and you. And I just let it rip. I just tell my whole story. Tell my whole story, what God's done in my life, what I'm doing now in the community. And that's it. I speak for 20 minutes. (laughs) 20 minutes. Don't let a preacher talk, you know. (laughs) Don't give him a mic, you know, like. Especially in a government building, like, what? What What are y'all going to do? Well, well, I know. Anyway, so I talked for 20 minutes. Halfway through it, the the entire pardon and parole board are in tears. I wrap up, I'm in tears. I get get emotional up here. I'm sorry, guys. Um, And I get towards the end of it, and I finish. And the woman that was leading the the, uh, whole board, the, the chairperson, she says, Mr. Chapel, I just want you to know, like we met beforehand about your case specifically because it was so violent. It involved a police officer and everything else. And we all had made the decision that this was gonna be a no vote. Um, it was just too high profile. We saw what you've done in the community. She said, I honestly, I was on the force with the officer that shot you. I talked to him, he spoke highly of you. We know you guys are friends, but it was just too much to take on. But after hearing what God has done in your life, after hearing it from you, my vote's yes. What do you guys think? Unanimous yes votes. Isn't that crazy? Man, it's my God behind bars, folks. I just want to encourage you guys. I don't know if your story's going to turn out like mine, but what I can say is you serve a Savior that can do anything and everything. He can do anything and everything. To our people in the room, to our campuses, whoever's in the room, I don't know what your situation is. He can do anything and everything. He can do anything and everything. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. See, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I didn't put 8 up, but I can read it here. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's something, man. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That physical situation where I was pardoned, he's done that spiritually for us. So, man, I don't know where you're at today or what you've done or what you've experienced, but sometimes the one thing that you know the one thing that holds me back most in life 
is shame, is guilt, is regret. And I'm telling you, you don't have to hold on to that. You can drop that. He's paid for that. He's pardoned you from that. He paid that price. And I am so grateful for it. So would you pray with me today? God, we thank you so much. We are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for your mercy. We are so grateful that you have pardoned us from sin. We are so grateful from, for the fact that you gave your life so that we could have life and life to the full. And we thank you, God, that we don't have to hold on to sin and shame and regret and all the things that keep us bogged down in the cement of life. And we are just so grateful, Lord, for your son that died on the cross, Father. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.